From Utility Dive Studios in Washington, D.C., it's the Electric Power Station. I'm your host, Gavin Bade, and today we're talking cybersecurity with former New Jersey regulator Richard Moroz and special guest host Naomi ID. And welcome back to the Electric Power Station. Amid all of the talk of a Green New Deal and coal and nuclear bailouts in Washington, there's one issue that retains primacy with electric utility executives, and that is cybersecurity. Every year, Utility Dive surveys power sector professionals across the United States, and for the last three, when we ask them what's the top most pressing issue facing your utility, they say physical and cybersecurity. So here to talk about these issues, we have an expert in cybersecurity and a former regulator. It's Richard Moroz, the former president of the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities and the current senior advisor for policy at Protect Our Power, a new nonprofit. Welcome, Richard. Gavin, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Also here as a guest host on this episode of EPS, we have my colleague and dear friend Naomi Eide, um, the senior editor at our enterprise technology website, CIO Dive. Naomi, welcome to EPS. Thanks for having me. So Rich, could you just start off a second talking a little bit about Protect Our Power for people who maybe haven't heard of the organization before? Yeah, I can. Uh, so Protect Our Power is a nonprofit, uh, non-industry funded organization funded by philanthropic uh, uh, organizations who simply have said that uh, they want the organization to be a voice, uh, a voice for continued advancement of protective measures, particularly around cybersecurity in the electric industry. And the reason being, the, the funders have simply said they were concerned that uh, the pace at which protective measures were being implemented uh, and that there was government action just wasn't sufficient. And they were very concerned that there might be additional cyber threats or attacks that could bring down the grid. So one of the biggest themes of technology today is modernization. It's all the rage. But with that have been introduced a new series of threats as technology moves from more analog to digital. You introduce abilities for threat actors to engage with systems and interact with systems. And we don't want that. We don't want outsiders. So how has the power sector security changed as it has become more digital? It, it definitely has changed, and thus the threat, very just inherent in what you just said. Um, years ago, when uh, control systems and the operations were largely done by manual systems, analog systems, uh, there was not this kind of threat that could be undertaken by a third-party actor, whether it's a nation-state or, quite frankly, a hacker sitting in their basement uh, with, a, with, a, with a desktop trying to get into electronically the systems that now run the power system whether that's the power system at the bulk power system level, the, the generation and transmission, or at the distribution level, both of which now are highly digitized. And I should say one of the additional looming threats, which I think, Naomi, you're, you're alluding to, is the continued evolution of the grid. We talk about uh, the evolving grid, which is going to have more and more distributed energy resources, all of which are interconnected to those systems. And as there are more and more devices the Internet of Things, right? There are estimates of another, uh, in the next probably five to six years, another uh, 10 billion uh, uh, IoT devices connected. And with all those interconnections, every one of them, and whether in the power system it's a, a smart thermostat or a control system, all of which could be, could be potentially a threat to for someone to get back into the, uh, to the electric system and into the control systems particularly, at large. 
So what is the state of play right now in the U.S.? You know, what are, can you run through some of the, you know, the big headlines that we've seen, the big news items we've seen over the past year in cybersecurity? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, first I should say that um, generally speaking, um, the, the industry has done a good job, a, a very good job of engaging in these issues, um, uh, coordinating efforts, um, uh, uh, it, getting whether it's a human person, uh, uh, capital, you know, new, new uh, uh, bodies to work on these issues, or the technologies themselves. So, so the good news is there are plenty of measures under being undertaken by the industry uh, as well as regulators. Um, the concerns, though, come at several levels. The first is, uh, amongst the states, disparity on how they're dealing with uh, cybersecurity threats in the distribution system. The second is the supply chain. And what we just, I just mentioned before is more and more devices are uh, uh, incorporated, uh, many of which are manufactured overseas without manufacturing standards. There are additional threats. So first, there is a... Um, th there are there are no good uh, agreed upon standards across the states for cybersecurity in the electric system. It's generally thought and accepted that the NERC SIP standards is a baseline, but that's not a requirement. And secondly, is a question about how we invest, how companies invest, whether they're an investor-owned utility or whether they're a municipal or co-op. Uh, uh, organization and where they get the funding to invest in these incremental costs which are which are to protect the, the, the grid so what is the the state of the threat out there right now we saw you know over the past year the Department of Homeland Security came out and they said that hackers from other nations we, we have assumed that it's Russia they've basically said it was Russia have been able to get into the industrial control systems of multiple power plants other power infrastructure uh, to the point where it was reported at least that they could quote throw switches on some of this equipment right and then I've heard you know at the Senate and among um, cybersecurity experts whether it's at DOE or FERC people are very concerned about gas pipelines and that gas transportation infrastructure um, give us the general state of play you know the risk factors for utilities today mm -hmm. so, so everything you mentioned are all very real um, but I must say that those companies are investing particularly larger investor-owned utilities that have those sophisticated means and um, measures and the resources to do it um, so in the electric system there is a is a sense both from a coordination standpoint but also their ability to deploy protective measures uh, on a technological basis that they're meeting the challenge. The issue is that oftentimes people don't know, companies don't know, the technology folks don't even know whether those hackers have gotten in or how long they have been. And in the electric system, the ultimate uh, vulnerability is getting into the industrial control systems, which could shut down the system. So even though the industry is doing a good job, even though regulators are highly focused on it, the question remains is what threat does is there in on any one day or are there interests that have already hacked into some level of the system to be able to Im impact those industrial control systems and that's what is the ongoing day-to-day -day threat and concern Na Naomi I wanted to turn to you just before we get to the next stage of this discussion that that idea that a lot of these electric utilities don't even know that their adversary is inside their system it seems like something that could affect multiple sectors do you see that in your reporting 
it's the echo of what is going on in the threat landscape. It is cyber war. And people love to bandy around the term cyber war. We're in it. And who is the target? Nation states are attacking at higher frequencies. And there are other um, for-profit groups as well who are trying to make life difficult for any number of industries, any number of sectors. And the, the grid and the security of the grid and the utilities has an extra um, severity with the threats is that you can turn the lights off. And we saw this in 2015 with uh, what was going on in Ukraine. And, and that really sparked a lot of fears and it set these worst case scenarios going out around the industry. And, and the worst case scenario in something like grid security is a lot different than the worst case scenario at a business where your systems might get disrupted. Ransomware might cause you millions of dollars in damage, but you haven't hurt anybody. And and that's one of the biggest fears, at least what I'm seeing. And that's what is it's kind of echoed into into my realm. But what are you saying as worst case scenario? Hmm. Well, of course, the worst case scenario is that there is uh, a hack into the grid affecting the industrial control systems, shutting down the grid, which then has a cascading effect to the other sectors that you mentioned, financial sector, uh, whether it's healthcare and telecommunications. Um, so those are areas of focus and including that interconnectivity of critical infrastructure that uh, uh, industry and regulators really need to be concerned about. Uh, Tom Fanning, who is uh, the CEO of Southern Companies, is the chairman of the Electric Sector Coordinating Council. Um, he has been very uh, vocal, very passionate about these issues, and is doing a good job at uh, chairing that uh, effort, the ESCC, which is the uh, uh, industry and, and government-related coordinating effort to uh, address potential threats like this. And recently, um, Tom Fanning uh, called for uh, joint meetings of the Electric Sector Coordinating Council and the Coordinating Councils that also deal with the financial sector and the telecommunications sector. I believe they just, they call it the tri-sector uh, group. Um, it's very important that those kinds of efforts are undertaken to share information, share threat information particularly, but also amongst critical infrastructure segments of industries like those to coordinate uh, both the protective measures and in the event there is some attack, uh, some cyber attack, to deal with the response and the recovery of the system. Well, you just went right into my next question is like, there is an inevitability with cybersecurity and threats. It's not a matter of if you're going to get hacked, it's when you're going to get hacked. It's the word that is across on everyone's lips. Um, so what happens if you are hacked and how are these groups responding? Mm -hmm. Well, first, uh, I think you need to consider what the effect of the hack is. Um, if it is dramatic, if it is with uh, and around the industrial control systems, that could be um, that could cause, at least in the electric sector, a long-term outage, um, depending on what the um, effect is, the condition, if there's physical connect, connect, kinetic damage that occurs from the hack. Um, otherwise, there are, um, you know, there are going to be technological implications from a, from a hack. Um, some of the measures that are, that are uh, ongoing, though, include uh, efforts like um, there are several spare parts consortiums uh, one of which is Grid Assurance, which our group Protect Our Power collaborates with. That's a group of um, utilities that have pulled together shared resources and are actually 
looking to um, uh, stockpile uh, uh, components that if they are damaged in an attack like this can be deployed uh, and replaced quickly. So they'll stockpile them, have them available uh, in the event there's that kind of uh, uh, outage and then they can replace them. So these are uh, specialty made uh, uh, transformers and, and, and equipment like that. The other is um, uh, the human the human side of this. Uh, for a response and recovery from an attack, it is it is absolutely the case there will need to be the 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 the, um, the trained personnel. So there are a number of mutual aid efforts, mutual cybersecurity aid efforts, just like there is uh, the the workforce. Uh, si um, uh, mutual aid efforts of uh, line crews in a, in a storm for outages and they they respond and go to a different uh, service territory to help their another company restore power the same kind of effort is being undertaken in this arena where there are cybersecurity specialists who would come in uh, be be part of a mutual aid effort in that setting as well absolutely so i want to i'm curious about what you think the like the actual risk is of a very large scale blackout, like something that we're talking about, right? Like when I talk to some cyber experts, they'll say, you know, the risk is there, but you would have to do a very, very coordinated attack across a lot of industrial control systems that have different, you know, different footprints and different ways to get in. So it would take a, a gargantuan effort is what I've been told, and it may, you know, maybe even something that would take, you know, automation and AI on the part of the attacker to get into the system and throw all of these switches at the same time. So, Rich, how do you actually think of this threat, the severity of this threat? We hear that the adversaries are in our systems every day. Uh, could they actually start to turn off the lights tomorrow? Well, well, that is ultimately the concern, and um, uh, that is very possible still, even though. Uh, the, uh, m much of the system, much of the many of the companies have done a very good job of of, of introducing protective measures and having the the kinds of uh, uh, systems that are necessary to beat back such a threat. But one of the one of the major concerns is that, and this is an interconnected system, is that many of our systems in this country, particularly smaller ones that don't have the resources, whether they're the technological resources or the ability to make investments in those protective measures. Or even the um, the human capital. Some some systems don't even have a, a, a chief uh, technology or or uh, information security officer, for instance. And um, they're the ones that uh, there seems to be an evolving concern that they could be the uh, the place where an attack could uh, be instigated, and through them, because it is an interconnected system. Uh, hackers could get to ultimately to larger systems where they could get into the industrial control systems. So um, it's it it is um, the the risk is is there. Um, uh, I can't necessarily uh, evaluate for you on a technical basis because I'm not the technician exactly what that risk is or quantify it, but it's there, and um, we need to look across the entire system, which is interconnected for those reasons, and and see how even those systems which don't have the resources can be incented. Uh, there's an incentive for them to invest. Well, and I think there's a lot of accounts across sectors of the little guy getting an email and they would never have thought that they were a target 
Uh, and then that's how some flaws are introduced into systems. But it really speaks to why some small providers might not realize that they are a target and that it is a threat to them. So how does your organization work and how does industry work to kind of make sure that the smaller providers are doing the same security measures as those large conglomerates? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, to, uh, several ways. The first is um, uh, we, I think, it's incumbent upon the industry. It's incumbent upon regulators to look across uh, the, the entire country at, at these issues. And the first is, um, and what Protect Our Power um, has been doing, one of the particular efforts we've undertaken, is to look at best practices in the industry. Uh, we held uh, just a couple of weeks ago a uh, conference in conjunction with Distributech, the, the large industry uh, trade show uh, in New Orleans, a best practices conference for uh, operational systems, IT systems, uh, and I have identified a whole series of areas where these best practices could be uh, identified. And what we're doing is we're looking across the industry, asking industry to bring them forward, and then even undertaking a peer review to highlight these. And we will work with universities to, to do that peer review. Uh, we've identified about 100 different types of OT or IT systems that are, or measures that are best practices that go beyond the NERC-SIP standard uh, that we can then help identify and push out to the industry. Because one system uh, in here, you know, for example, here on the East Coast might not know what somebody's doing on the West Coast with a particular kind of best practice. So we're going we're gonna to continue to push that out there, and I think uh, that's the kind of effort that people should be looking at across the country in industry as well as in regulation about what measures you can undertake. The other is, as I mentioned before, is the concern about whether the investment's there. And that is uh, uh, going to be uh, an issue that's going to have to be dealt with at uh, various levels in the states as well as uh, here in Washington, uh, which is how we can, one, incentivize uh, uh, the, the utilities to make those investments. Uh, if they're investor-owned, they, they, they have uh, certain measures they can take and uh, deal with their, their rate-making mechanisms. And if they're a municipal or a co-op, they, there are other things that they are going to have to start to look at about how they can, in, uh, how they can have those investments made. Um, at the end of the day, this is going to cost, though. It's going to cost the, all the, the, the customers, um, and they need to understand that that kind of investment is necessary so that we can ensure for the long term the power stays on. Mm-hmm. I want to get into the more intricate uh, details about how to incentivize those investments in a little bit. But first, before we get too far away from it, I want to stay on the subject of standards for a second. We have mandatory cyber protection standards for the power grid, right? The NERC SIP standards. Some people say they could be a little bit stronger. People want them changed, but they are mandatory for people. Not so in the gas sector, right? We only have there are voluntary standards and best practices for pipelines, um, but there are no mandatory ones. And it's kind of there's a hodgepodge of different, you know, federal agencies that oversee pipelines, whether it is Department of Transportation, whether it's FERC, all of these other things. We saw last year FERC, uh, the FERC chairman, Neil Chatterjee, Richard Glick, a Democratic commissioner, come together and initially call for mandatory standards for pipelines, um, mandatory cyber standards, that is. Chatterjee has since kind of backed off that position. I think after he probably got an earful from API and and the other natural gas lobbyists here in Washington. Um, But I wonder how you feel about that. We have this mandatory standards for cyber in the power sector. We're so interconnected with the gas sector now. And that's where we hear a lot of of focus of the attacks are today. How do you feel about mandatory standards for them? let me say two things. The first is um, there's a lot of discussion about uh, the natural gas industry and the need for standards. 
uh, that is something that the industry and regulators really need to look at very seriously. There are um, uh, 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 lots of reported concerns about the, the those vulnerabilities. And the other is that um, cybersecurity, I've always said, is a threat like no other. It's one that is very particular to the um, physical plan or the operations of a particular system. And it's really incumbent upon the industry at, at, at one level to come forward with suggestions on how to protect its own infrastructure. And this is, a, this is I think, an, an area where uh, the natural gas industry should be stepping up and, and talking and bringing forward solutions of its own on how to do that. So that um, if there is a need, uh, far be it for me to tell uh, uh, federal regulators on how they uh, should look at this, um, but they're going to have to look at it and consider it very uh, particularly. But the industry needs to come forward and explain how it is protecting its own uh, systems, and in this case, how it can protect, protect the, uh, the natural gas system at large. And that means with cybersecurity standards um, uh, of its own or those that it would, it would suggest. Uh, because the uh, alternative is that uh, someone, whether it's a regular or whether it's the Congress, would step in and do that. Um, I think there's a need. There's a need to have a hard conversation about that in the, in the natural gas industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and but certainly, I mean, I, I suppose we could just nationalize all the coal and nuclear plants, right? And then we wouldn't have to worry about the natural gas pipelines. That's that's a low tech cyber, you know, cyber solution there, right? That is that would be that would be a solution. But I don't think we're going to talk about that today. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, in all seriousness, that is one thing that Tom Fanning talks about, right? Is that, you know, in in times of you know a real severe cyber attack maybe there are things maybe there are systems that are air gapped or maybe some old plants that are still analog that you could throw to in the case where i don't really want to be communicating um over the internet or maybe i can't um is that an option yeah i i've been told that the industry actually has um uh a cold on it, the manufacturers uh in its sector to uh, bring forward alternative um, operations methods. And I think they refer to it as either uh, uh, something like a spare parts uh, or spare tire initiative, I think they call it. And that's what uh, Tom calls it. Yeah. Yeah, um, does. It's so that in the event of a wide scale significant outage or, uh, or, or a, or a uh, attack that um, impacts the, the digital systems, they, that, the, that the, uh, the, the power sector could return to manual operations if necessary. So there is at one level, uh, uh, I know, real hard thinking about that as an alternative or a contingency in the event of a threat like that. So, um, and, and good for them to be able to think through those contingencies because we should need to be prepared for really almost any eventuality with a threat like this. Well, it's really alluring to just, why not stay on those analog systems to begin with? I mean, for some, organizations our very own government here in dc is running systems from the 1950s and some programmers who know how to use those systems are no longer in the workforce and so there's this like attempt and and this temptation to just stay analog to just stay a little bit behind the technology curve in the name of cybersecurity. why modernize it all I think we're modernizing for two reasons. The first of which is th the technology clearly provides opportunities at a whole host of levels. Um, uh, Gavin, you mentioned earlier AI. Uh, it will, it will in fact provide great economies of scale and in operations, and ultimately, at the end of the day, provide consumers uh, with more the more efficient delivery 
of of what is uh, uh, here uh, the service of electricity, but uh, also the um, integration to other areas, as we mentioned before, whether it's uh, the support for tech, uh, telecommunications or whether it's for uh, uh, the integration of uh, the delivery and support to our uh, financial institutions. So the technologies evolving will continue to provide that at the end of the day, uh, those efficiencies for consumers. Um, but um, what it it does is it opens up this threat. So that's the flip side of it. Um, we can't necessarily ignore the fact that the technology is, is, dr is driving as much of the evolution of the grid as is the desire for this economy or uh, economies of scale that will come from it. So it's going to happen. And the whole point is we need to be prepared to deal with it, even if it means having a contingency in place that is in so at some level returning to some manual control of the system. So let's get down to the brass tacks and how we can actually allow utilities to pay for these investments that they need. Um, we know that across many states, utilities are not able to recover costs for investment in new, you know, whatever cybersecurity solution, whether it's a new, you know, a new system or new people or things like that. Um, you guys just put out a report, Protect Our Power just put out a report with Vermont Law um, talking about ways to incentivize utilities to make those investments and give them cost recovery for it. Just can you run us mm -hmm. through like what you think the broad issue is and, yeah. and how we can solve it? Right. So um, uh, there are a number of is associated issues, but uh, you are correct. Protect Our Power along with Vermont's law school just... Um, uh, and uh, put out, uh, at least ver publicly, the um, initial findings of a survey of states uh, around uh, the, the cost recovery on uh, cybersecurity measures. And um, some pretty interesting results, some of which wasn't, wasn't necessarily too surprising, uh, but um, uh, points out a number of challenges to these issues. Um, and uh, that report we 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 issued uh, at uh, the recent NARU meetings uh, and and announced those findings. The written report will be out in a couple of weeks with the findings of, of Vermont Law School's re research. Um, a couple of things that the report the the, the research is is um, identifying. The first is um, is identifying this gap that occurs between the some larger, more sophisticated uh, systems and operators and the smaller ones, including smaller municipal and, and cooperatives. Uh, so there, there is that gap and, and the need to make sure that across the system, regardless of the size of the system, that they have the resources. How they're doing that is going to be a challenge uh, here in Washington at the federal level, but more particularly in the states. Um, the, the one of the issues that occurs is a question that comes up as to whether these measures, um, because the way that historically uh, 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 the utility industry has done rate cases, is whether this fits the box of something that is prudent, that's used and useful, that uh, it's, a, it's an investment that can be put into its, its, its historic rate base. Those are challenges that have to be dealt with by regulators, and the Vermont Law School study identifies a number of uh, case studies where the commissions have approved those investments. Um, so we're hopeful that this will pro provide a, uh, a tool to regulators throughout the country uh, to be able to look at these uh, investments and uh, advance them. Uh, the Vermont Law School study is also identifying, though, these disparities with some of those smaller systems. So that is a challenge because it may also require, at the state level, 
uh, additional measures that could be had and given the tools to those who oversee those systems, the ability to recover the, the costs that may be impacts to or, or the, the need to raise rates in, in some areas. So stepping back from it, there's probably um, a handful of measures to, uh, that industry regulators and policymakers need to be thinking about. The first are these, these issues about whether they, uh, how the regulatory structure allows them to recover the rates, whether it's an investor-owned or a, uh, a, a municipal system. Uh, the second is whether there are the right legislative authorizations in the states to recover those rates. And the last is, which is potentially, uh, I guess, an opportunity, depending on what happens here in Washington, with uh, uh, an infrastructure bill. If there is a piece of legislation that moves through the Congress with this administration in looking at investments in infrastructure uh, at large, um, our hope, my hope, uh, is that uh, the power sector is included uh, and probably also the other critical infrastructures we mentioned, like the water and the wastewater and the telecommunications industry, that if there's going to be an infrastructure bill, that these critical infrastructure subgroups are also included for those kinds of investments. One thing that's happening a lot with industry is that uh, the government is becoming very wise to the cyber threats and is trying to have initiatives that maybe help combat those. And and something that becomes standard is, is the need for practice with these threats, is the need for rehearsing how your team is going to respond. And I imagine that that's also the case with the more power sector. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can. Um, from two perspectives. The first is um, uh, one of the uh, things that I was very pleased uh, to be able to do when I was at the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities. We would regularly meet with the industry and and hold uh, uh, threat exercises. And they were some were around cybersecurity, some were around physical uh, uh, um, Im- impacts on the system and how to recover from them. Um, but that goes on all over the country, and it happens at the, at, the, at the national level. Those are very, very important efforts because uh, whether you're, industri- you're an operator of, of, of critical infrastructure and the electric system or whether you're a regulator or a policymaker, you'll learn so much from it because you realize what happens in the event of a threat to have to react to it. It points out gaps. It points out the uh, need for additional enhancement in, in, in uh, measures, whether it's in the protection or whether it's in the response. So something like, for example, GridX, which is the national um, uh, exercise being held, which is held by NERC and the industry uh, every other year. It's coming up. It's, it's coming up. March uh, 2019. Right. Um, it is a, those are great exercises. Now, so, uh, GridX um, in, in, in includes all the federal agencies, uh, the, all the big uh, 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 power systems, but it also includes the states. Uh, so the state commissions or, or state uh, emergency management officials will all participate, and they all learn something from it. So it is a, um, it's a fantastic way to learn uh, and to better prepare for any kind of threat, whether it's a cyber threat or whether it's a physical threat on our systems. Yeah, I know a lot of the stuff that goes on at GridX is highly secret, right? Top secret, classified. Um, but from what I've heard, when I've talked with people who have been there, they've in very, you know, in the most general terms say, yeah, they just basically throw problems at you all day. They just give you attacks. They give you natural disasters. They just give you everything to try to break the grid and 
the operators in that room just have to respond and say, this is what we would do. Is that kind of that what happens? That is exactly what happens. Uh, those scenarios are played out uh, actually over almost two days. Um, and um, uh, and the last time, the uh, senior executives of uh, uh, most of the power system uh, company, the operators, uh, the, the power companies, as well as the Electric Sector Coordinating Council, um, took a CEO-level um, uh, response to what the threat was. They actually sat and, 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 and walked through how they, their companies and how they would in each state uh, react to the scenario that was presented to them. So those are th that is a, a great exercise. People learn a lot, and it is something that has to continue at whether it's the federal level, the national level, or whether it's locally. Something that happens across industries is, is practicing all the time in, in efforts like this. It's It would be like GridX every day on a smaller scale. So companies will hire on, um, they call them bug bounty programs, but it's these outside um, pseudo hackers who mm -hmm. come in and try to actually get into your systems and find the flaws so that somebody else doesn't find them. Are there efforts like that in the power sector as well? Absolutely, yes. There, so um, there are a number of names. Uh, the common one is probably an ethical hacker um, or, or, or uh, the White Hats, right? Um, they'll come in. They will, um, uh, there, there are a number of uh, uh, companies out there that have uh, either efforts like that where they'll come in on a particular project and try to hack through a system. And there are some vendors out there that have have um, uh, technologies where that goes on regularly. It, it's a constant uh, uh, checking of the system. So companies are investing in those kinds of efforts, whether it's an exercise, a particular project, or whether it is one that's a continual uh, technological uh, solution to try and, in, and find vulnerabilities in their systems. So, yeah, they're out there, and those are um, great investments to have because if they're not testing their own systems, it means that somebody else can try to hack into them and potentially get into it. I wonder about the, the vendor element of this, right? Something that I've heard when we've gone to uh, congressional hearings on cybersecurity is senators have asked about, well, do you have any, um, do you have any vendors in your system? Maybe it's Kaspersky, maybe it's other, uh, other companies that have been affiliated with foreign powers that you know, could be potential agents of those foreign powers. Um, do you see that as an issue in the utility sector? The, the, that is an issue, um, and um, uh, it, it comes up either in the... Um, uh, the software, as you mentioned, uh, or it comes up in the hardware. And uh, recently, our, our group, Protect Our Power, uh, did a study along with Tom Ridge, uh, former governor and, and uh, the original director of the Home Office of Homeland Security, um, uh, and Ridge Global, to look at a particular issue. And it was just an example, just one, one slice of this potential concern that uh, and Governor Ridge had, had written about this many years ago and, and, and what he saw as a looming threat. And that was to look at um, the, these issues of the vulnerability in um, uh, solutions that are offered or, or in the equipment in the supply chain. Uh, and on that particular effort, Protect Our Power and Ridge Global looked at smart inverters and the potential vulnerability of those most of which are being manufactured overseas. Uh, I don't need to get into the, the issues, but the you know, folks on the Hill are always talking about the, the, the particular uh, interests in other countries that are manufacturing these devices. We're mostly talking about China here, correct? Uh, that is if correct. You, if you don't yes. want to say it, I'll, I'll push That's you That's who it, we're talking about. Of course. And um, one of the reasons why this is a, it is a concern uh, is that there are no standards for the manufacturer of these devices 
for those kinds of measures that are being implemented. Uh, so there, I have for years when I was back at the board and, and, and as chairman of the Critical Infrastructure Committee for NARU, uh, suggested the industry the industry step up and call for its own standards in the manufacture or integration of devices so there could be a, a, a seal of approval that comes with the devices that are being incorporated into our electric system. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, as we know, as there are more and more devices which are bolted onto this system, uh, those threats become even more so. So it is something that I think is going to be a continual uh, issue of concern one that the industry, sh I think, should step up and, and, and look at the potential of a seal of approval for devices that are integrated into the system. Didn't FERC take action on this last year, though? They, they had a, I remember, a cybersecurity standard order for the supply chain. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and, and I, 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 just to be clear, and, and at the time I re remember um, when FERC issued that order, um, I, I, I give them all the credit in the world. That's the kind of effort that needs to be undertaken. Uh, which is uh, in their order largely asking the industry to um, then go to its vendor uh, in its vendor chain and ask for those um, assurances that the the devices the vendors are providing are um, uh, are not providing another threat um, however the cons my concern is that they don't really know they really does the companies don't necessarily know what is in the devices or where it's manufactured or who integrated what into them because there is no standard for the device. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing I want to touch on is we've talked a lot about threats, uh, both those that are a little dated and those that are arising nation states and otherwise. But I'm, I'm curious to know what is the most immediate risk you see the industry facing? I think the most immediate threat is uh, th this potential that the smaller, less sophisticated systems in this country could be the place where an attack starts. Um, and probably the other is, and, and there's a lot of discussion and recognition of this in the industry, that there might already be the, uh, the hackers and, the, and, and the, uh, those that would be in the system already in. Um, you know, there, there, there are estimates that, for example, the Ukraine attack, that uh, that, that, that had been in infiltrated a year or 18 months prior to when the actual shutdown occurred. And that's something that uh, if you talk to chief information security officers and others in the industry, they say that's the kind of thing that really keeps them up at night. I you can ask them th yourself, but that's what they tell me. They say, we worry about what we don't see or don't know about. And it could be that those, um, those infiltrations have already occurred and they don't even know it. The known unknowns, the greatest fear. Uh, and with that, how might these threats evolve over time? Well, the, that is a, a continuing problem is the evolution of uh, the threats uh, with AI or other measures. And uh, the hackers just becoming more sophisticated. And, and as they, the hackers, might learn the defenses that are in place, to be able then to go to another level and continue to try to, to, to get into systems. So that is, this is a continuing struggle. Uh, it's a continuing effort. Uh, it's why uh, the, the, the point about having standards which are um, going to be established, which take a long time to go through processes to try and establish what that standard is, is probably not really the most effective for this threat. Um, 
because this is an evolving threat. It's evolving daily with the technology. And that's why something like, as I mentioned before, best practices, you know, that is really where it should be above and beyond whatever the baseline standard is that's established for, um, for these issues here, the NERC-SIP standard. Look at best practices to see what's meeting the, the, the evolving threat, which is a cybersecurity threat. So just to review, develop best practices, not just in the power sector, but gas as well. Allow utilities to recover investments for cybersecurity and, you know, just keep trying to keep ahead of the issue, I suppose. And I'd say just um, the continued engagement in this effort. Um, when I uh, dealt with these issues uh, at the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities, um, we, we were proud that we were probably the first uh uh, state commission in the country to issue a cybersecurity specific order. Um, I said to the industry, I said to uh, stakeholders, I said it publicly then, I say it now, this is a threat like no other in this industry. It's one that is um, changing, it's evolving, uh, but it's also uh, many times very particular to the partic that company or its systems. And Regulators and policymakers need to look at this very differently than they would um, the way they did years ago with, uh, you know, just the, a standard to put pipelines in or to run a system that was manual. It's a very different threat. It's one that takes continued engagement between policymakers, regulators, and the industry to meet the threat. And it wouldn't hurt if the feds would give us a little bit of money so that you could make investments well. The money could never hurt. That's right. It would always be helpful. Hurt. The money could never hurt. Well, Richard Morose. Uh, the senior policy advisor at Protect Our Power. Uh, before we go, I just want to mention, you know, Richard is here as a former regulator advocating for utility investments. Protect Our Power is not a utility front group. It's supported by a number of foundations. Um, but I just wanted to make that point for you so we don't, you know, people don't think, yeah. oh, is this, you know, is this something that is shadow funded by EEI or yeah, something no, like that? No, no. In fact, uh, as I uh, as I've said, this uh, it's um, it's actually um, been a wonderful uh, group to work with. Uh, no, it is not industry funded at all. Uh, it is it is financed by uh, philanthropic foundations. The uh, the funders have simply said that they want the organization to be a voice for continued action on these issues, and that uh, uh, is somewhat liberating to be able to to speak our mind, uh, to talk about this threat and uh, educate people. Uh, but at the same time, continue to call for meaningful action to meet this evolving threat. Well, we should, we certainly appreciate having your voice on these issues on the electric power station with us. So, Richard Morose, thank you so much for joining EPS. And Naomi Eide, Thanks for having guest me. host on this cybersecurity episode. Thanks so much for being on EPS as well. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's the Electric Power Station from Utility Dive. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks. Until then, you can keep up with all the latest developments in the electric utility sector by signing up for our daily newsletter. That's at utilitydive.com slash sign up. Until then, I'm Gavin Bade, and this is EPS.